Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Anul Polat. This is the first episode of 2021. I'm excited to be back. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up, a lot of very interesting guests. I think you're going to really enjoy the travel tech that's about to happen, at least in the podcast. Uh, but for today, we've got a lot to talk about. I'm going to give you a little bit of a travel update. We're going to talk CES. And then at the end of the podcast, I've got Soren Peterson from Sure. We're going to talk about microphone tech, but especially focused on how you can improve how your audio at home sounds. So a lot of us are working virtually. A lot of meetings are taking place virtually. And while you can get away with kind of, you know, crappy video, Crappy audio is just terrible. It's just distracting. You know, those kind of meetings you have where you can hear somebody's kid or the dog in the background or the washing machine. All of those things can be improved with some, you know, some tech, but also some tricks on how to make that work, what to look for in a microphone. So we've got sure to talk about how you can improve your audio. But first, let's get into a short travel update. So obviously, over the past year, over 2020, I didn't do much traveling. I did get a little bit of traveling in right before things started shutting down and, and coronavirus hit in March. So it, I started out actually a year ago, I was just looking back a year ago, I was in Las Vegas for CES. I stayed in Las Vegas for two weeks, which is uh, uh, probably a week too much after CES, but I, I was in Las Vegas. Um, then I made it to India across a couple of cities, Nepal and Pakistan. Um, I said that those are the really the places that I traveled and I was going to go to Spain. That flight got canceled, but that was pretty much 2020 for me. I didn't leave Istanbul. I went back to Istanbul and then um, now I'm in the U.S. And uh, speaking about being in the U.S. and being around uh, the U.S. Capitol building, a lot of you sent me messages asking if I was there, if I was okay, you know, if I was out filming. And uh, no, I wasn't there. I appreciate all of your uh, questions, concerns, comments. Uh, I, you know, I didn't know, I, I kind of figured, I didn't know it would get that bad, but I kind of figured that, um, you know, the, 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 the tension level was so high that I don't know if it would have been safe to be there. Um, I don't know what I could have added filming in that situation. So, uh, I decided not to go. And I think that was, that was the right decision clearly, but, uh, I appreciate all of your messages. Thank you. Um, I, I, I do have a tendency to film in, in different places. Um, but you know, th there's, there, I, I, I've got a, a, at least a better, I think, uh, sort of barrier, <laughs> a radar of like, where, where should I not go? That is going to be, you know, dangerous or stupid. And I, I, that, that was my, my limit. So I wasn't there, but I do have some travel plans now, now. Let me start by saying, you know, I'm not going anywhere until I'm vaccinated. I think I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of waiting. I think that once I have the vaccine, I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable sort of go places. And boy, has my travel list gotten really interesting. And for those of you, you know, who checked out, you know, foxnomad.com, who, who are on my site a lot, you know that I have this page that says upcoming stops, which I nearly, I just forgot about until now. But there is that page that says upcoming stops. It has, I, I should probably update that before this podcast goes out. But if I were going to add some places to it, I don't think my travel plans could get this crazy. I don't think they could get this hard to get places, 
different places. I am so excited. I really hope it happens this year and I really think it will. I think by, you know, by June, we're going to all start to get going. I, I think that's, that's pretty realistic. I think that, you know, we'll have vaccine, vaccine passports, whatever it takes. I think we're going, but there are some interesting things developing on that front. I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, let's just say it's got a couple of different continents involved, a couple different countries, a couple of a bunch of new ones and a couple of old ones. I'll let you guess. I'll let you guess until I sort of lock down those plans. But uh, that's in the works. Of course, you can tweet at me at Fox Nomad and let me know where you're going this year, what your travel plans are. I'm really interested to hear, you know, it's kind of it's kind of an interesting time, right? Because we haven't been able to really travel but now that we can, we've had this break, you know, you can't travel for a year, really. Where's the first place you're going to go? Is it going to be a new place or is it going to be some place that you really miss? So just talking a little bit more about some travel news, uh, I want to say that all of you people, I don't know if it's any of you listening, but for all of you who were traveling with koala bears, peacocks, and all kinds of weird emotional support animals, the U.S., transportation department has now made that determination that only service dogs can continue to be protected under the Americans with Disability Act, thus categorizing emotional support animals as pets. So far, only Southwest Airlines has stated that they will continue to accept the ESAs at no charge, ESAs being emotional support animals, but both Alaska and American Airlines have stated they'll no longer accept emotional support animals on flights. However, several airlines accept pets for a fee. Those who have already booked flights this year using their ESA should look into each airline's policy as some will still be accepting ESAs for existing reservations. So there you go. All those uh, photos, I think I shared on on uh, the Facebook page or on Instagram, but you know, people were bringing ponies, uh, falcons, all kinds of weird animals. And now they've just ruined it for everybody. Now, to be fair, emotional support animals were kind of a way to for people to get their larger dogs on flights at fees that were less than pet fees. So yeah, you can fly if you've got a small dog, for example, on most airlines. You can, you know, if it's small enough to have your dog on your lap, you can bring it, but there's a fee. But if you get an emotional support animal certificate, which costs about $100, which is less than the $250 that the, the pet fee costs. And you get that certificate online. It's really easy to do. I did it. I got one for a koala bear. I made a video about a couple of years ago. Uh, you can check that out. It's on YouTube, but it's not that difficult. So people were kind of using this to get around paying those pet fees and being able to bring their larger dogs. So, you know, the pet restriction is usually like, I want to say 25 pounds or something like that. So the dogs have to be pretty small, but if you have a larger dog and you don't want to, you know, have your dog, you know, be in a crate in the cabin, you could use this emotional support animal sort of loophole. Now it seems like, no, you can't do that anymore. No more emotional support animals. People were bringing all kinds of ridiculous animals and they've just ruined it for everybody else. So if you are using an emotional support animal, certificate to bring your dog to fly with your dog or cat even well you're gonna have to re-register your dog as a true uh, service dog or just pay whatever the fees are or unfortunately 
you know, for those of you who have larger dogs, you have to check them in the cabin or find some alternate way to travel with your pet. So uh, no more emotional support animals for you. Also, another thing I want to talk about is this remote ID banner. So the U.S. Department of Transportation issues too much anticipated drone rules to advance safety and innovation in the United States. The United States Department of Transportation's FAA Federal Aviation Administration today announced final rules for unmanned aircraft, UAs, commonly known as drones. The new rules will require remote identification, remote ID of drones, and allow operators of small drones to fly over people and at night under certain conditions. These rules can come at a time when drones represent the fastest growing segment in the entire transportation sector with over 1.7 million drone registrations and 203,000 FAA certified remote drone pilots. Remote ID will help mitigate the risks associated with expanded drone operations such as flights over people and at night. Both rules support technological and operational innovation and uh, advancements. So essentially the way this works, I'm gonna, I'm just going to read this, this blurb just to describe what remote ID is and what it might mean. Remote ID is a major step toward the full integration of drones into the national aerospace system. Remote ID provides integration, I'm sorry, remote ID provides identification of drones in flight as well as the location of their control stations, providing crucial information to our national security agencies and law enforcement partners and other officials charged with ensuring public safety. Airspace awareness reduces the risk of drone interference with other aircraft and people and property on the ground. So as these rules are rolled out, what this means essentially is this is something that's going to affect the drone makers, the manufacturers, and they're going to have remote ID, which is essentially broadcasting a, a, a standardized signal from your drone and the drone remote so that other planes, helicopters can detect that signal and know where your drone is. If you've used um, some of the newer DJI drones and newer software, you know that it can show you uh, where planes are. So it can show you where other planes are. And it's kind of on the same system. So planes broadcast, you know, their identifiers so that you can use, you know, flight radar and track them and all sorts of things. Uh, so this is kind of in reverse. So Small planes, big planes, helicopters, uh, control towers can see if there's a drone around and that change is going to be rolled out. And I think it's, it's, it's part of, you know, regulating the drone industry a little bit more, but also using more tech to regulate it because with drones getting a lot smaller now, uh, you know, just putting a drone up near an airport, uh, and they can go a lot farther too. I mean, they can go a couple of miles, you know, 10 K away kilometers away is no problem for most, you know, consumer level drones at this point. Um, so this is going to be a way to control people from not doing dumb things with their drones, whether intentionally or unintentionally. So that's something that's coming up. Uh, both rules become effective 60 days after publication in the federal register. The remote ID rules will include two compliance dates. Drone manufacturers will have 18 days to begin producing drones. Sorry, drone manufacturers will have 18 months to begin producing drones with remote ID with operators having an additional year to start using drones with remote ID. So this is a change we're going to see over the next two to three years, but it is a change that is coming. I think it will all be better for it. Um, but for those of you who've been getting away with flying your drone near restricted space, you know, let's say you're at a park, you know, there's an airport like 4.7 miles away, you know, the five 
not that five mile limit, just 4.7, you're just far away enough. Uh, you probably, well, you shouldn't do that, but you probably won't be able to get away with it, uh, at least with a newer drone. Of course, DroneMate, my app, which gives you all the drone laws in the world updated in real time with notifications that will update you in specific areas around you, countries, states, all of that will tell you. So you make sure that you're always following the rules. And if you need to register your drone, DroneMate will help you there as well. Let's talk tech. Let's get into CES. CES has been taking this place all week virtually. For us, so for me on the influencer side, you know, has the media credentials to see what's going on at CES. It's been all virtual, but from from my perspective, it's been kind of hard to follow what's going on. So you've got all these different virtual booths, which, you know, if for those of you who don't know, basically the week before CES and CES week, I mean, I get probably, and anybody who's on the media list, gets probably 300 emails a day just from CES. They're just press releases, just companies reaching out. It's just a, a wave, wave of emails. And all those companies, well, most of them have virtual boots this year at CES. So whereas in the past, last year when I was at CES, I would go around to the different boots, meet companies, check out products that I thought were interesting. There's always some boots that, you know, that they have, that they, they, they do things Cars, flying cars, you know, just to grab your attention. Those are always fun uh, to to meet with those companies and to film those things. But this year, those boots are all virtual. So it's really difficult. You've got to kind of sort of target in what you want to see. So you want to hit that virtual booth at kind of the, the virtual time. Some of them are just time. Some of them are open for a couple of hours. And I find that, you know, it's it's hard. It's not... You know, because the best part of CES, honestly, is wandering around and finding new things. I mean, that's really the best way to experience CES. It's hard to kind of pick and choose. So rather than being in an open physical hall, it's more like now we've got these closed virtual rooms, which is a little bit difficult. It's been hard to follow some of the live streams that have been happening. You know, again, pick and choose. So I think a lot of those small uh little companies or those little products that you know that, that that sort of are interesting and then all the sort of the the back of the convention hall stuff you know you miss a lot of those things um so it's been a little bit i'd say janky on top in terms of the, the the virtual side of things but there are some cool stuff coming up the first thing is something that i just heard about earlier today and that's sony they just teased uh, uh, the Air Peak drone. So this is not a consumer level drone. It looks like it's a professional level, you know, professional grade drone made for uh, professional filmmaking and cinematography. It seems like what you can add right now is that you can uh, add any of the Sony Alpha camera series, which I think, I mean, that that is, it's pretty epic levels of, of camera technology in the sky. And if you're interested in drone tech, I've got a all drone episode coming up right after this one. Uh, the episode that goes out after this one is with Mike from Drone Supremacy. So we're going to talk all about drones. So make sure that you are, make sure that you're, you know, subscribe to the podcast, that you're, you're sharing it with your friends uh, so that they don't miss that drone tech. But a couple of other things that I noticed from this year's CES, 
the Flow, which is a, a product from GoSun, which is a tiny solar-powered coffee brewer, and they also have uh, a con contraption, a device that you can use to take hot showers outside. So if you're in the woods and you're camping and you want to take a hot shower, they do make these kind of, you know, you, you for those of you who camp or hunt or, or spend a lot of times, you know, in the great outdoors, you know that they have these shower packs that you heat. You basically leave them in the sun and then that heats the water and you can take a pretty hot shower depending on what the weather is like outside, how much sun you get the bag. But this has uh, a solar panel which can actually heat the water for you, which is kind of cool. But going around CES, Panasonic, uh, Panasonic debuted the BGH1, which is a micro four thirds camera. Quote, the first Micro Four Thirds camera approved by Netflix. It is a box shape. If you've seen the the uh, Red Komodo, if you've seen that uh, camera by Red, which makes these high end, you know, fifty thousand dollar cameras, uh, for well, for some tech YouTubers do use them. Uh, some cinematographers, you know, on just YouTube use Red cameras, but they're basically cinema cameras. Um, it's kind of the same shape. So this BGH1, I, I don't know why they don't name these things like things that we can actually say or remember. Um, but it is, is sort of a box shape um, and it's it's using 10-bit 420 fork and can shoot in 4K 60p and it shoots 10-bit 422 4K as well. Um, I haven't, you know, I think the issue here is going to be what lens mount they're using. It'd be interesting to see. I, I haven't I haven't looked up what lens mount it's using. Uh, and as I'm sort of transitioning right now from Panasonic to Sony cameras, you know, the one thing about so uh, Panasonic is that there's not a huge selection of lenses. So there's not a huge selection of lenses. Whereas with Sony or Canon, with those more established brands, you've got a lot more a lot more lens options. And I think I think it'll be interesting to see what lenses those use, but it's kind of cool. I, you know, Panasonic is a company that does so many things right in terms of, of cameras. And now, now I'm on, now I'm going on a little tangent, but when it comes to the, you know, the, as I'm switching now to Sony, if I was using that as a primary camera, it's the, the ergonomics, just the durability and the feel in the hand of the Panasonic is better. You know, the Panasonic is more like a Jeep, <laughs> you know, like a Jeep that you can just take off road. It's going to work. It's durable. It's a little rough around the edges, but it's got, you know, clicky buttons, got a lot of physical buttons to do a lot of stuff. Um, and it has separation between the buttons so that you can, you know, if you're filming yourself, especially it's really easy to use the buttons on the back, even if you don't see them, because you get that can feel around this you know i got this tactile sort of response whereas sony is more like it's more like a high-end luxury car you know it's got the bells and the whistles it's a little more dainty feeling at least to me i feel like it's a little you know it's gonna be interesting traveling now with the sony camera as my main shooter you know when travel happens because i do feel you know i feel like that with any new tech you feel a little bit more sensitive with it. You don't want to break it. You know, you get a new laptop or whatever. You're a little bit more. And then over time, you just kind of, it's like your phone. You start to treat like crap. You drop it a bunch of times or whatever. Uh, but the Sony does feel just a little, little elegant. You know, it's a, it's a little, 
a little more elegant than the Panasonic. So it's going to be interesting traveling with it. But Panasonic does a lot of things right. I, I, I think where they lack is lens diversity. The lenses, they don't have as many lenses. Uh, the lenses are more expensive, the lenses they do have. And the autofocus is really bad. It's just really bad. Now, that won't matter for this uh, BGH-1. I'm guessing it's anyone who's using that is going to be using manual focus or it's going to be manual focus only. But uh, on there, the camera is just, you know, the autofocus is is pretty horrible. So I'll say, to say that if Panasonic could kind of tweak those things, they could kind of tweak those things. I think it would be just the best, at least single person YouTube vlogging camera. I think it, it has a shot. But... Um, Anyway, I digress. And finally, I want to wrap with something that I caught my eye, which is uh, the Cove, which is a pair of wireless earbuds. They're wearables, but they vibrate gently behind your ears, which the company says activates the part of your brain that regulates emotions. During a session, Cove says you should wear it about 20 minutes a day. The beta waves in your brain decrease and the alpha waves should increase. So after that session, the alpha waves remain dominant. Alpha waves are typically dominant when your brain is restful in meditative states. Beta waves are normal during cognitive tasks and fast activity. And that's going to be coming out sometime later in this year, about $500. I'll be interested to try that out. I'm going to try to get my hands on that. And, and hopefully that makes it into uh, an upcoming review. But hopefully you've enjoyed this uh Quick CES recap, a little bit of a tech recap. So after this short break, I'll be back with Soren Peterson of Sure. We're going to talk about microphone tech, how to improve your virtual meetings to make sure that your voice sounds good, that it sounds clear, and that you're not the one on the meetings that has all the background noise in the background and has to constantly mute themselves because if you're not on mute, it's going to destroy the ears of everyone else. So uh, a lot of great tips coming up right after this. And uh, we're good to go. Awesome. So thanks for thanks for joining the podcast. I, I appreciate it. Of course. I think it is CES week. Um, so I think we, we kind of want to jump in. I, I haven't seen or I don't know if there have been any announcements yet, but um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if uh, you have any, have any uh, CES news for us. From a uh, from a sure point of view, uh, we did receive a uh, a Tom's award um, for our MV5C product, which is something that um, we launched a couple of months ago, maybe only about two months ago. Uh, it's called the MV5C Home Office Microphone. Uh, uh, as you can imagine, work from home seems to be a really really large trend at CES this year, and the uh, MV5C. Um, took a product that we had in the market called the MV5, which was uh, uh, kind of optimized for content creation and even like uh, working on your mobile phone, as a lot of our uh, motive mics do. And uh, the MV5C, we made a home office derivative. We sort of simplified it, uh, simplified it a little bit, retuned the way it works to be, uh, you know, next to your laptop on Zoom all day. Um, and it's been great. It's just a, a really simple, high-quality solution. It is night and day better sounding than your uh, your built-in laptop mic. So, uh, if, you know, if you're a business professional or a teacher or somebody that um, wants to, uh, you know, present themselves a bit more uh, professionally or just in in higher fidelity, um, or if you're in a loud environment like myself, where I live in Chicago on a very busy street, so uh, if I used my built-in laptop microphone. 
uh, everybody on the other end would hear all the traffic and all the sirens and all the, uh, the car auto body shop that I live next to all the time. So uh, get something like the MV5C and uh, really simply plug it in. There's no additional drivers or software and, uh, and it goes. So we're uh, honored to be recognized at a place like CES. Yeah, and I'll mention, uh, I have to note that your sound quality right now is really, really good. So I'm Thank wondering you. what microphone, what microphone yeah. you're using. Yeah, we'll get right to it. Uh, so I'm talking on the MV7, uh, which is another new product that we launched in late October. Uh, this is uh, a dynamic microphone, which is uh, fairly unique in the, uh, the USB space. Um, and that's really where Sure has its, its lineage and our history is being kind of the world's leading dynamic microphone brand. And the reason that a dynamic microphone uh, is uh, desirable, especially these days, is because dynamics are a lot less sensitive. Uh, you know, in a music studio, you want something to be sensitive because you want to get all the detail of something like an acoustic guitar or capture that instrument. Um, for something like a podcast, uh, when you're in uh, as we all are basements and bedrooms and kitchen tables and stuff like that, rather than a soundproof or acoustically treated room, uh, the dynamic microphone sort of removes the room from the equation a lot more than a condenser does. So just by nature of using a dynamic microphone, you're going to get a lot more of that uh, sort of radio broadcast quality. Um, there are sirens going by my window right now that I hope you can't hear. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of like taking your studio with you. Uh, and especially knowing that, um, uh, you know, whether it's a Zoom call or uh, a podcast uh, or you're making, you're, you know, using it for, uh, for music creation or anything along those lines, uh, live streaming and uh, video games have, you know, exploded uh, certainly over the last couple of years. But um, again, hugely um, since the, the lockdown period here and, um, Lots and lots of people are finding themselves as new dynamic microphone customers, and the MV7 is our uh, uh, is purpose built for that. Um, it it takes its name from a, a product called the SM7, which is very very popular uh, with streamers and uh, a long time uh, world class studio microphone. Michael Jackson famously used it for Thriller and many many other things in the music space. So um, the MV7, we are kind of trying to make a a. a bit more affordable, easier to use modern day version of that same sort of thing. And it's been really successful for us. So, um, you know, I, I have a degree in audio engineering, but you don't need it to, to sound this good with the MV7. You literally just plug it in. Um, and I'm using a piece of software that uh, we ship with it in, uh, in an auto level mode. So I'm not even setting my gain or my EQ or anything. It's literally uh, the microphone is doing the work for me. And uh, I'm sitting at my kitchen table in a loud apartment. So uh, I'm glad that it sounds good. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it does. And I think one thing that, uh, you know, that seems to me is a lot, you know, like you mentioned, 2020, everybody, a lot of people are moving to home offices yeah. and video seems to be the first thing people focus on. And <laughs> audio is the thing that maybe they don't focus on, even if, you know, yeah, yeah. or later on. Later on is exactly right. It's a, I totally agree. Everybody wants to, uh, you know, look a bit nicer or feel more professional with it. And I get that the, the webcam on my laptop doesn't do me any favors, uh, especially at the webcam or well, built-in webcam angle, right? Like, um, which doesn't flatter anybody. So uh, eventually, uh, you know, uh, especially with the nature of where uh, the sort of timing, how long we were going to be at home, nobody really knew. Um, there was, you know, uh, we didn't know if it was going to be a, a short period of time where we'd have to find some work at home solutions, you know, remote learning solutions for that sort of March through the summer period. And there's, uh, 
you know, it's looking, unfortunately, like uh, that's going to be the situation a bit going forward. And then after all the, uh, you know, unfortunate COVID stuff um, settles, a lot of that activity will stick, I think, or where work from home will be a lot more uh, uh, popular and, you know, remote meetings and learning, I think, will um, not replace in-person by any means, but certainly be bigger than they were pre-COVID. So eventually people get to the microphone. Uh, we have a, a, you don't have to do a ton of research to see that uh, in a piece of video content, the thing that will disengage uh, uh, from a piece of media is bad sound, right? People will uh, quickly forgive a slightly out of a focus shot or a sloppy edit or something like that. But if it sounds bad, if you're not trying on the audio, it just sort of, it breaks the illusion, right? It takes you out of that engaging with that piece of content. So it can look amazing, but if you're just talking into a microphone that's on the other side of the room and you hear this big echoey thing, it's hard for you to sort of take it seriously as a consumer. So, um, you know, uh, people like myself that have music backgrounds are, are kind of audio first as humans, <laughs> uh, but most people are uh, are video first, and you know when they get to the audio solution, they sort of didn't know what they were missing, right? Um, these are not things you need golden ears to hear the difference between. Uh, everybody's heard a Zoom call now, and I'm on the exact same setup in the same room in the same chair that I normally would be sounding uh, very bad on, but just by the nature of plugging this in and putting it in front of me um, and clicking one button, um, it's a completely different piece of media. Right. So, uh, so yeah, the audio is really, really important. And, um, uh, the last six, seven months have really, really shown that. And what's the mistake you think people make the most, uh, you know, with their home office yeah. setup and what makes it sound so bad most of the sure. time? So audio is tricky to understand unless you dig in a little bit because it, it literally is physics, you know, um, there's all sorts of things that are sort of not intuitive at first, um, nerdy things like the inverse square law, which is a really mathy way of saying when you move the microphone, uh, when you double the distance away, you get half of the volume. So that means if you were, if you normally would put a microphone, you know, three or four inches away from your face, like if you were recording a podcast, uh, I can do this in real time here. So I have it about three or four, uh, about three fingers away, right? What people do is they'll put it they'll put a microphone that's far away. That's not meant to be far away. Microphones aren't magic. That's, that's kind of the, the mistake that people make, unfortunately. Now with the MV7, we, we try and put in a little bit of magic here, but um, people would take a microphone that's really meant to be uh, spoken to at a, a close distance. And I'll just take this farther away now. And I'm at about arm's length and I'm sure you hear less of me, but also you probably hear a lot more room. Uh, and if this was a, a product like a condenser microphone or a built-in laptop, You'd be getting, you know, as the microphone sort of reaches to pick me up now that I'm farther away, uh, it has no way of knowing, of separating me from the room. So really, your environment is a very, very important uh, thing to uh, to consider. If you're in a, uh, you know, if you're in a, a, an office that is a small square room with nothing in it, then you're just, you're asking for echoes and reflections and stuff like that, right? Um and you can kind of tell there's a, a everybody's kind of heard this where uh, if you ever see sound people walking into a new room and then clapping their hands, they're basically listening how that room reacts. And if you clap your hands and you hear this weird like twang sound and it literally sounds like twang, like a very goofy, silly sound, you'll know it when you hear it. That means that uh, 
your room sounds very bad. <laughs> and that's just echoes bouncing off the walls over and over and over again. So as that stuff gets into your microphone, that just makes it, uh, it just muddies the signal and makes it harder and harder for, uh, um, for the people on the other end to decipher what's the room and that's reflections versus, uh, you know, the source, which is, which is what you're saying here. So uh, tying it back to the MV7 real quick, when you, if you use a dynamic microphone, um, which again is like sort of a new thing in the USB space. All most all USB microphones traditionally are what we call condensers, which are very very sensitive. Uh, so while that USB condenser mic may be a pretty good choice for your you know your home studio, uh, or if you have a a quiet suburban basement or something like that where you can soundproof your room a little bit, you can get away with the condenser. Uh, but you get so much so far down that road just by nature of using a dynamic microphone. So I'm not doing any any special processing. I have a sort of like that box uh, boxy room that I just described here. Um, and just by using a dynamic microphone, you get all the way. So a little bit of research and a little bit more investment up front, uh, just kind of, you know, it's, it ends up being five, six times better performing uh, for, you know, one and a half times the cost type of thing. So um, just getting a dynamic microphone will help you sound more professional and more, uh, more, you know, more radio broadcast friendly. Uh, when we were developing this microphone, it was a lot of fun to join Zoom calls and, uh, you know, we use Microsoft Teams as of late, but same deal, where uh, <laughs> it'd be an early morning call and everybody would, you know, say their good mornings through an open laptop mic and you'd hear the traffic and their dogs and their kids running around and stuff. And then I would unmute and go, Good morning, everyone. And like the call would shut down. Like, what are you using? So people notice, you know, um, everybody knows what a bad Zoom call sounds like these days. And uh, that's very unfortunate, of course. Uh, but there are ways to to improve that um, for you and on the other end of the call. So um, the Sure Mode of Dynamic Microphone MV7 is a great, great way to do that. And how would that differ from using something like the SM58, which is a, a podcast, yeah. one of your podcast microphones? That's a great question. So um, it's very similar. The SM58 is a dynamic microphone. Uh, it is sort of the the example of a dynamic microphone. It's uh, the, the best-selling mic of all time. Uh, very, very popular for podcasts, although it sort of um, is known as a live performance microphone. Um, but for all those same reasons, in a live performance environment, you want a microphone that uh, that is not very sensitive because you're in front of a PA system. You're in front of a giant sound system, right? So if you yell into a sensitive microphone and that comes out really loud of the speakers and goes back into the microphone, that's how feedback starts. Cause that loop literally in the microphone, out the speakers louder into the microphone, out the speakers louder. And that just infinitely gets louder and it starts to howl at you. And that's what that horrible feedback sound is. Um, so just like that, the SM58 uh, is meant to be uh, used much closer. So um, it's the same sort of nerdy audio principle that we would call signal to noise. But the SM58 is very similar. Uh, that one, I would say, is a bit more built for live performance. Uh, it's got a bit more of a warmth to it. Uh, the MV7, we really wanted to laser focus on uh, intelligibility, sort of the the speech part of the microphone, you know. Um, I, I'll use the joke that it's kind of the we're, we're more the NPR sound rather than like the morning talk show or YouTube movie trailer sound, right? Like it's more about what I'm saying and less about how I'm saying it and how I sound, right? Um, so yeah, it's 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 just meant for intelligibility uh, and clarity is really what intelligibility means. The SM58 is very similar. Uh, this is more purpose built to be used at home. 
Um, the MV7 is also uh, has a USB connection on it. So uh, you don't need any additional stuff like you would with an SM58, where because that's a analog XLR microphone, you would need a way to convert that to digital. Uh, and that's uh, through a type of product called an interface. Um, we make one called the MVI, which is just a really simple one channel interface. Um, and there's a bunch more out there from great brands. Uh, the MV7 sort of takes that whole microphone XLR cable interface USB cable chain and just puts it all in one package uh, with the DSP, with some of the um, sort of magic processing stuff on board. Like I literally fired up our software and I hit auto level mode. And that's what I'm talking to you uh, with right now. Uh, so as I move around the microphone, it's actually changing the gain in real time and adjusting the sound for consistency. So it's a very, very easy to use product. You'll get the same sort of uh, benefits as an SM58, which again is a, a dynamic microphone, just like the MV7. Um, MV7 will probably come across a bit a bit cleaner uh, because it's purpose built to, to be used in in you know, bad acoustical spaces, which is almost every room, it turns out. Yeah. It's very rare that a room is good sounding, you know, um, especially at home and in kitchens and basements with, you know, kids and dogs and other adults and real life sounds and stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's exactly what we were trying to do with it. And um, we've been doing dynamic microphones since the late 1930s. So we're uh, an absolute, you know, uh, world leader in that space and really, really uh, glad we're able to take some of that knowledge and experience and make a product like the MV7 that's so relevant right now. Yeah, and for under normal circumstances, I do travel frequent, very frequently. Sure. Uh, so USB mics, I'm kind of, you know, I think that's for most people. Yeah. But I'm curious, is there a difference in terms of why you would want one type of mic? Why are there limitations to using a USB mic? It's a great question. So there's sort of two two buckets for that answer. One of them uh, is just how many microphones you can plug in. One uh, USB, uh, especially on a PC, uh, you can do it on a Mac, but you have to sort of trick it using this thing called the aggregate device, um, where it it doesn't want to be plugged in more than one at a time. So if, if by nature your podcast is a two-person interview or something, two USB mics is going to be probably more trouble than it's worth. Um, you're better off there getting two XLR mics like an SM58 and uh, a two-channel interface uh, or some sort of portable recorder or something. Uh, so there's just the how many microphones. If, if you're only ever going to plug in one, there's no real need for the interface. It'll just be an extra thing on your table and probably extra costs and features that you won't need uh, unless you have multiple mics going in. Uh, the other sort of answer, um, and this one's a, a, a really good one, but a bit more uh, cloudy of an answer is the quality. So the real important, there's a couple sort of blocks, right? The a USB microphone is, uh, is a, a microphone first and foremost. And then it sort of has that interface type of, uh, functionality where it basically takes an analog signal, you know, your voice into a microphone and converts it into digital. So that analog to digital conversion is really the very important step that, uh, quality wise, that, differs wildly based on uh, part tolerances and price points. And, you know, our, our sure MVI that's 99 bucks gets one channel in. Um, but there's of course brands like, you know, uh, Apogee and universal audio and all these other big scale uh, interfaces where you can put 24 mics in, but also the conversion is crazy, crazy uh, tight tolerance designed to be super crazy crank on the performance stuff. That's really like the, the fidelity stage. So the MV seven, uh, 
uh, there's certainly nothing lost. You know, it's it's built for clarity, so it's a uh, it's a very natural sounding thing. Uh, it, so, to answer your question about XLR or USB, it kind of depends on where that XLR is going. You know, if you jump on your uh, favorite global e-retailer and you find some no name brand that has four channels of interface or four channels of input for, for $29. That's probably not very good. Um, but you don't have to spend a thousand dollars, you know? Uh, so for most people, and especially in the, in the podcast world, there's not a whole lot of benefit to, uh, or uh, an obvious advantage to XLR or USB. It's not really in, uh, until you're in the quality driven stuff, like, you know, high end recording studios and um, maybe those, uh, you know, higher end YouTube productions where audio quality is a really, really uh, important thing, but you got to pay for it. You know, um, I mean, we think every seven sounds great, but it's not going to be that 24 bit, 190 kilohertz, you know, uh, 192 kilohertz, like super hi-fi music recording ever. Um, so there's no inherent difference. It just kind of depends on how it gets into digital. So whatever interface you're plugging it into, that's going to be the the big deciding factor there. And it, and it, you know, you bring up a good point, which is, uh, you know, you don't necessarily want a super sensitive microphone yeah. when you're like taking meetings or when you're in right. a noisy environment because right. it's going to pick everything up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially on something like a podcast where there's no, um, not something like YouTube when there's a, a video element to it, you can kind of get away with a little more on the audio side. But like you watch that same video with your eyes closed and all you, you just, your brain is drawn to the little audio things, whether it's a bad edit or, you know, the, the dog in the other room barking or whatever. Um, so yeah, you don't, you don't necessarily want sensitive, you know, you want to get you and nothing else as close to that as possible. Uh, I see podcasters buy very nice uh, XLR, you know, like real like music studio caliber setups. Uh, and they have really very nice condenser microphones, and then they're not happy with their end result uh, because the neighbor closed their door when they got home from work, you know, and like just that slam uh, is their driveway is outside of the window in their basement and it gets picked up, whatever that example is, you know. Um, with that type of thing in a dynamic microphone, you, 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 you get, it's hard to quantify because there's a lot of things, but significantly less other stuff and a whole heck of a lot more, um, you know, the source, like just what it's pointed at. And it picks up in kind of a very small area in front of it where that condenser uh, is designed to be a lot more uh, detailed, but that means it's a lot more sensitive. So, um, I mean, like I said before, almost no room is good from an acoustics point of view, you know. Uh, and when they are good for podcasts and video meetings and stuff means dead, right? That means as little <laughs> reverberation as possible. So unless you're treating or you know treating a room or building a room in your house to do that like you, you know you can also just buy a dynamic microphone that's that's kind of our joke when we when we tell people is like you have a very cool condenser that thing sounds great now you can either spend a couple hundred bucks and dedicate a room in your home to soundproofing it or you can you know stick your head in some goofy homemade uh, egg carton foam cardboard box thing or you just buy a dynamic microphone in the first place and you're 90 percent of the way there and you don't have to you know like use a chunk of your house or apartment as a, as a studio, because you can just kind of pop up the studio wherever I'm at my kitchen table right now, you know? <laughs> and, and how about for situations that where you, you know, you're doing like a virtual wedding or party or something yeah. where you have a group of people that might be in front of a laptop, how, how would you handle the audio there with, with the microphones 
change? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's an example when um, a condenser is might be a better choice for you, right? Uh, the dynamic class of microphones are, are built for live performance and podcasts where, you know, it's one person very close to it. Uh, so if you put it a foot or two away from a group of people, it's just not going to be sensitive enough to pick that up. So that's when something like our MV5C or another condenser microphone would, uh, would be beneficial. You will get uh, some of that room sound. There's no way to sort of filter that out, you know, um, but you'll get a lot more pickup. And uh, at that point, what the benefit is, uh, is what we call rejection. So the microphone is designed, the 5C as an example, uh, and this is where that word cardioid comes into place, if you've ever heard that. Cardioid means heart-shaped, and that explains the, or that explains the, um, the pickup pattern. So if you sort of envision like a three-dimensional bubble, like a shape in front of the microphone about where it picks up, and more specifically where it does not, that it'd be a heart-shaped bubble in the front of the microphone. So it picks up the least from the back of the microphone. That's fairly intuitive, right? Like you want to point the microphone at what you want to record, uh, but it's not always intuitive about pointing the microphone specifically away from what you don't want to record. So uh, if you're presenting something like a, a group of people or there's some sort of ceremony or there's two or three people, um, then you're going to want to, you know, back off the mic just a little bit. And a condenser mic is probably the better choice. Um, you will get some, a bit of that, you know, room reverb thing, but less so with our products because we have so much uh, pure acoustics experience and we can make that cardioid, uh, frankly, like better and more consistent than a lot of other brands. So when ours says it's cardioid and picks up in the front, we mean it, it is engineered to pick up as much of only in the front as possible. Uh, so something like the 5C would be more of a, you know, kind of if there's a, a, a bride and a groom sort of thing, kind of point the condenser microphone down the middle and it'll capture generally what's in front and generally reject what's in back. Uh, so that's a really easy dynamic or condensers. If it's, if it's one person, a dynamic is great and you have the ability to get it close to you. Um, you know, you can look at almost every live stream right now for that same sort of thing. Uh, the same sort of conversation where if somebody's cool having the microphone up close or they want that extra fidelity uh, and they don't mind having it on camera, then this is the best possible setup for for audio. But um, if it's the type of show where you're doing, you know, demos or you just don't want something on camera, then you can put the microphone back closer to where your computer monitor is, you know, a, a foot or so away. Uh, and then there you'd want to use a condenser. So up close is dynamics. And uh, if you have to be a little bit farther away, get a condenser, but get one of ours because they tend to be better than uh, others from a purely acoustics, it does what it says it po uh, does point of view, uh, referencing picking up in front of it and what you're pointing at and uh, doing a really good job of picking up, of not picking up stuff that's behind it. Uh, it's very easy to show that visually with my hands that I'm <laughs> doing right now, but it's difficult to explain on a podcast. Okay. So I, I hope that comes through, but um, great question. Well, I, I don't want to keep you too long. I, I appreciate your time. Um, I, I hope this helps people who are in home offices yeah. who, you know, because like you said, you know, when, when video is sort of grainy or maybe, you know, I say grainy, 720 or something, when it's not, you know, like <laughs> right. 4K, it kind of has a, maybe like a raw or nostalgic, you can work with that to kind of yeah, sort of create a, a look. But when it's audio, then the only thing you can think about is, how are they recording this? It's the only thing, you know what I mean? So yeah, it takes exactly. you out of it. Yeah, you don't want to spend any mental time like trying to, you know, decipher what they're saying, especially in a podcast environment. That's, you know, um, 
as more and more podcasts around video and are turning into live streams or that's a portion of it these days is that uh, it, it matters, you know, even if, if it's just you, it's a static shot of you talking into a camera, then like it better sound good, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, unless you're really, really good looking, which does happen. But um, so, yeah, there's a couple of videos for anybody who um, uh, is curious about the MV7 or uh, how it might uh, help you in a work from home type of environment. There's two videos, one called uh, one's called three ways to use your MV7. And there's a short tutorial about how to set it up for video calls. And it's truly as easy as downloading a piece of software and then clicking uh, the automatic mode, uh, auto level mode button as I'm using right here. So um, if you can download a piece of software and click a button, you can literally sound just like me right now, um, which I hope sounds very good. It, 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 it does. Uh, it's a good, it's a good, uh, you know, it, it speaks a lot to the, to the microphone because you do sound very clear. Excellent. Um, and I, you know, with other guests, you know, I kind of have to just mention, you know, these are maybe some things you want to do so that the, the quality sounds okay if we're doing it virtually. But yeah, yeah, I, I figured, you know, that this would not be an issue. In there. Yeah. yeah, especially demoing this product the last couple months. It's been very like, I'm, I'll be fine. Yeah, we will like, trust me, you'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised type thing. And uh, it's great. It's a great, it's a great way to demo the product all over the place, of course. But um, it's, it always, you know, makes me and the team feel good when you see somebody have a, a real, like visceral, you know, physical reaction. I'm like, wow, you sound great. What's happening there? Uh, and then when they find out you only have to uh, plug one cable in and click one button in the software and you're just, you're good to go forever, then uh, you're, you're good. Cool. Well, I will leave a, you know, a link to all the microphones that you mentioned and the, the tutorial videos in the show notes. Um, but thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll, we'll have to catch up again and see, uh, see what else you have coming up in the future. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Great conversation. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Soren, for being a guest and sharing all your audio knowledge with us. Uh, for those of you who are still listening, make sure that you have given five-star rating. Make sure you've given a five-star rating to the Fox Nomad podcast wherever you're listening to the podcast. Thanks very much. Make sure that you're buckled up. A lot of new episodes, a lot of good guests coming up very shortly. So I look forward to sharing those with you. Thanks for listening, though. And for now, I hope you enjoyed the rest of your day. And I'll talk to you in the next episode.